Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. I'm glad to see you guys are all here. And uh, it is great to sing and to gather and uh, to look at God's Word together. I'm going to turn on my microphone. There we go. So I was, uh, I was, when I do some of my work, I often work at coffee shops and places around town. I go to Panera a lot. I got the, the coffee subscription there. There's a corner bakery really close to my house, so I go there often. One of the times I was leaving the corner bakery, I was getting on my bike. I rode my bike that day, and there was a guy standing outside. And as I was like getting my helmet on and stuff, he was like, oh, uh, he asked me a question about the brakes on the bike or something like that, or how much the bike weighed. And so, you know, guys like to talk about equipment and tools and stuff, things like that. So you must be a cyclist. So we started talking about the bike. And um, whenever I meet somebody new, I try to... I like to try to see how fast I can get into a spiritual conversation. So I started talking about church, and then he started responding about church. Turns out he um, is Armenian, and he uh, has, I would say, what seemed to be a strong heritage of Christian-influenced culture in his family line. And so I thought, oh, it's interesting we're talking about this. And he began to talk about uh, really how... how the influence of Christianity on Armenians right, right after Jesus lived. And he told me he knew a lot about some of the history and some churches in the world that are Armenian, that are Christian in different countries. And he was asking me questions. He knew more about than me about some of that history and the geography. And he, was, he referenced being a Christian. And I, I, I thought to ask him, I was like, how do you, so how do you know that you're a Christian? And he said, well, I, I just feel it. I just feel it in my heart. And um, I was like, interesting, okay. We just did a whole message series on feelings. And uh, so I, I, had, I had a lot of uh, thoughts going through my mind about just like feeling your way through life. And so I'm like, interesting, he just feels it. And I asked him more questions. It turns out he's never, he never had read the Bible yet. And I, uh, it seemed like maybe there were some gaps in his understanding about Christianity, even though he knew some of the history. And so I'm like, oh man, this is so interesting. And it was like, a, it was an engage, we were both engaged in this conversation. I was really eager to pull my Bible out of my backpack. And I wanted to go to a verse or a, a book of the Bible that would maybe help clarify the gospel for him. And I was thinking Galatians or Ephesians. I didn't really know where to go. As we were talking, I was just kind of praying that God would show me which verse to go to. Because sometimes, sometimes it's the case where God will lead you and me to a verse that really addresses what people are dealing with. And that happened because I believe God uh, was leading me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And so I was, I was like, hey, do you mind if I, can I show you something in the Bible about what we're talking about? And he said, sure. I was like, okay. So I, I got my Bible out in my backpack. It took my helmet off at this point. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's, let's talk about this. And so um, I was reading in, gospel, in, the, in the first chapter, it says... Uh, talking about how um, the Jewish people at that time did not recognize who Jesus was. And if, it reminded me a lot about him. It says, um, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And uh, but actually, but to all, all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So I'm thinking, you know, I was explaining, we, we actually get the right to be Christians when we receive him, according to what this says, not just based on your heritage or the history or your nationality or things like that. And um, this, this got him thinking for a second. And, uh, but then he'd, he would 
share his ideas about Jesus, and then I would read the next verse, and every time I read the next verse, it would contradict what he just said. <laughs> and so I realized what we discovered by reading through this chapter together is that his ideas didn't match what this chapter says. And actually, each verse, it was amazing. I, was, I could see why God brought me to this chapter, because these were the specific... His framework for understanding how Christianity worked was built on things that contradicted most of the verses in this chapter. <laughs> and so... And I, admit, I said that, I was like, oh, it seems like, it seems like you and the Bible are saying different things. And he's like, no, 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 I, I, like, I'm, I'm all about the Bible, I love the Bible, it's a great thing. It's, you know. I was like, yeah, but you don't believe what it says. And um, he, was wanting to hold, he was wanting to hold his opinion and like, a respectable opinion of the Bible at the same time. And so I finally I said, it's almost like, it's almost like God has given you the Bible and um, he's like, here, I want, you to, I want you to read this and understand this. And you, and you are saying to him, no, I don't want that. I just want, to, I just want to think about it my way. And then God says, no, no, look, I wrote, I wrote this so you can know the truth. And you're like, no, I don't want it. I'm just going to keep believing what I want to believe. And uh, when I threw my Bible down on the table, I did it kind of roughly. And um, he didn't like that. He's like, that's really disrespectful to treat the Bible that way. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, what I'm doing with this paper, you're doing with your heart to God's word. And then he said, you know what? I should probably read the Bible. I was, <laughs> I was like, I think you should. I, I think that would be great. I think, I think you should start with the Gospel of John. And it turns out his name is John. His name oh, wow. And uh, so he's like, yeah. I'll, I was like, why don't you start reading this? Why don't you read this book? I actually think it will actually bring a lot of clarity and enlightenment to your understanding of Christianity, because clearly Christianity was a value to him in one sense. And so this guy is very, seemed to be very religious, but not very clear on the truth. And um, it was, I don't know, I love, I love conversations like that. I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not like the guy that walks into a place and I start chatting with everybody in, in the room, but if someone does chat, then I like to like make the conversation as significant as possible. And um, I, so that, that, that was, and actually that was the first, I hadn't ridden my bike to work in quite a while actually. And it was just sort of random that I got my bike out that day and then the bike was the thing that God used and God just kind of navigated this whole thing to happen. And so we left, we were friendly and I told him I'd be praying for him and I, I did and I have been praying for him, but I haven't seen him and I don't know if I ever will see him again. And I can't tell you how many people I've met and others who, are, who have helped us start the church, how many people we have met in Santa Clarita since we've been here, and people that we have prayed for, and how many people we've had really, really high hopes for, and like, oh, maybe God is doing something, and we invest ourselves. I've invested myself a lot. Sometimes a passing interaction like that. Sometimes we invest ourselves weeks and months of just investing time and relational energy, never really knowing what the outcome is going to be. And sometimes it is that way. We just, we pray and we talk and we share and see what God does. And then sometimes the relationship just sort of fades into the gray. And who knows? I never know if we'll see that person again. I would guess that there are things that you have invested in. And maybe you didn't get to enjoy the results that you were hoping for. 
maybe it's a, like a relationship like this or a conversation. But besides that, there's other things that we really invest our hearts in. We really like get wrapped around. And then, then the results just sort of fade or things don't go, they don't turn out or there's disappointment. Maybe months of gardening get scorched in one weekend because the sprinklers broke and you didn't realize it. Like, oh man, this is not the outcome. Or just as you finish typing the project, your computer crashes and you lose everything. Or maybe you've been building your career or you've been like moving along in your job, but the boss takes the company in an unexpected turn. You're like, oh, this is not the direction that I was hoping for. Or maybe you've really invested in a very meaningful relationship, but then that gets wrecked after some foolish decisions. And that relationship just does not pan out. Or maybe you had a vision of what raising kids and building a family would look like, but the actual results have turned out differently. I don't, know if, I don't know if you can think of anything that you've invested yourself into. You really put your heart into it, and you really, you really wrapped your efforts and your energy and some good focus around those things, and the outcome has been pretty disappointing. There's, there's been times in which I've prayed earnestly for God to give a favorable outcome in line with biblical values. I'm not, it's not like I'm praying for something out of bounds. I've, I've prayed earnestly, and then we still, we still experienced loss. Man, it's really hard to feel empty-handed after you have invested yourself, you've invested your emotions, you've invested your hopes. And, and the more we really invest in something, the more it stings when the plan just falls apart. We all have things that we have thrown ourselves into, and at some point you get weary or worn down or doubtful or discouraged, and you think, man, have I just been wasting my time? Was this all a waste? Like, what was this even for that I did all this? I feel empty-handed, especially if the, thing, if the whole thing just goes up in flames. I wonder if it's all been worth it. Did I just waste all that time and energy investing in that? If you have, if you have ever thought that, if you ever had that thought, I want you to know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So it's actually a statement from a verse we're going to look at in a second. And basically, we're going to unpack this idea that any endeavor that we begin, if it's done with a mind to honor God, that effort was not done in vain. Christ followers have a very unique hope in this regard. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and he is your Lord and you've submitted your life to him, you have a very unique angle on how to process these disappointments in life. And I want to look at a letter from the Apostle Paul toward, it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And since Easter, we've been going through a message series studying this chapter. And so we've worked through a lot of it. There's some amazing content in this chapter and today we're, we're at the very last half of the last verse of this chapter. And it's a, it ends on a real high note. But let me just uh, back up a few verses to verse 54. It says, When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. And what he's, what, we're, we're jumping in sort of in the middle, but basically he's talking about the resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the grave, 
we who follow Jesus, our bodies will also be resurrected and we'll have new life eternally. So this is like a massively game-changing situation. He spends like many, many verses explaining how significant this is. But he says, finally, when that, basic, when that resurrection does happen, what the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So think about death for just a moment with me. <laughs> when... And maybe there's, maybe there's different kinds of death. Maybe when the plan you've been working on dies. Or maybe when the dream you have dies. Or when the relationship that you've really put your heart into dies. Or when people that we love die. Or when I realize the time is coming when I'm going to die. There, there's death that we experienced in different ways, ultimately, ultimately ending with our own death. And when we start, when we start to look at our lives and we think, okay, what, what's been the outcome of all my effort and all the things I've been pouring myself into? Or just like my, my life on earth, what's, what, is, what have been the results? What have I produced? What have, what have I walked through? When I check out of this life, will I feel empty-handed? Will I feel ripped off? Like, maybe, maybe my life lacked something and my efforts were a waste. That's kind of, I think that's a tension that's, that bubbles up through this chapter, is there's this concern that we have. And the, really, the reason that there is death of us, our bodies and our dreams and relationships die and, and really bad things happen is the reason that all that kind of different varieties of death happen is because of sin. Sin kills. Sin kills dreams and relationships and people. And we all feel the sting because we've all sinned. We have all done wrong and we all fall short of God's glorious standards. So what happens is we all start out in life on track to be swallowed up by death. That's the path we're on. So death is not only just a painful experience. I'm assuming death, well, there's, there's a lot of different ways to die. I think many of them probably are painful. <clears throat> not only that, though, but there's a spiritual punishment that awaits us because of our sin. So the physical part's awful, the spiritual part's even worse. If death was the end of all of our stories, then that means everything you have worked for was a waste. If death is the very end, and that's it, and there's nothing anymore, then all that effort, all that energy you've been putting into things was worthless. It was a waste. But that's not what the next verse says. The next verse says, <clears throat> But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For followers of Jesus, death does not have the final word. Through Jesus, we have a shining victory to anticipate. We will die physically, but it will not overcome us. When we decide to follow Jesus, we place, and we place him in command of our lives, we jump tracks. We were on that track headed towards eternal death, and now we get on the track leading towards eternal victory. So, when things that we worked hard for turn out poorly, we can easily lose sight of this incredible hope. Because you can get, when things like 
go up in flames, like you can, you can get really discouraged and like lose hope or things don't pan out the way I thought. When, when relationships are crumbling or when parenting is draining the life out of you or when our efforts just get washed away in a flood after months of toil and anticipation, we might become despairing or anxious. We might shift our hope away from the gospel, away from our sure victory in heaven, and we might be tempted to put our hope in the outcomes that we were really wanting. Like, I was really wanting this thing to happen. And we don't realize our hope was in that. Our hope was in the favorable outcome that we really wanted and we really prayed for. But Paul says, the last verse in this chapter says, Therefore, because of our hope, because of what's coming for us, the resurrection in heaven, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we need to invest our hearts in the right endeavors. We need to be, certainly, you need to be wise and strategic and biblical. So whatever you do, sometimes things don't pan out great because you, you went at it the wrong way. <laughs> so maybe your strategy was bad and that's why there's disaster. But we need, to be, we need to be strategic and biblical. And the results, we do want good results. The results are important. So what we do produce is important. But sometimes the results come back bad, even when we're really working in the right way. Sometimes the floodwaters strike and wash away everything that we were working for. And this verse says, if you were doing it for the Lord, it will never be in vain. Everything you were working on could get totally washed away, and it will not have been in vain. That's really good news. Turns out that God is big enough to work through us. Man, this is amazing. He can work through us. He can, he can actually work through the flood and the flame. He can even work through our meager effort and ability. Maybe, actually, maybe you're not that all, all that strategic or wise, because I, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I have lots of room to grow in the air of wisdom. So maybe we don't go at things the best, but even that, God's able to work through all that. Even if we mess things up for ourselves, God is able to work through that. So sometimes the most, a really important question to ask is not what are the results, what are the outcome, not just that, but who am I doing it for? All this effort, all this focus, all this energy, who am I really doing it for? I tend to be very, a very efficiency-oriented person. So this, I don't know about you, but this, this verse really, it helps me because, like, for example, if I, if, I mix, if I miss an exit on the freeway and I have to turn around, I'm like, oh, I just, I'm wasting my time. Especially like you have to turn around and you go back on the freeway and there's traffic on that side. I'm like, ah, oh, I, I shouldn't have missed that turn. I'm, I think I'm wasting my time. I, I hate, so I'm very, like I said, very efficient. I want everything to be efficient. So this thought of I'm wasting my time, it often plagues me when circumstances don't go the way that I anticipate. Or, or something just takes longer than I thought. I'm like, ah. Oh. So maybe for you, maybe you might feel despairing or discouraged, but don't. Don't get shaky. Keep your trust in the Lord firm and be rooted. Be unflinching. Because Paul says, be steadfast, immovable. Don't flinch, even. <laughs> Always excel in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We can be confident that nothing we do for God is a waste of time or effort. 
even if it pans out badly, even if our hard work doesn't produce what we hoped. And when Paul describes your labor in the Lord, you could, you could, you could state that as work done for God. It's not referring to elite Christian pastoral work, labor in the Lord. It's not, it's not being a pastor. It's not being a missionary or doing like spiritual things like leading a Bible study. Those things all qualify. But work, working for God could simply mean changing a diaper or breaking up a fight between siblings. Work for the Lord could be cleaning out the garage. Or my labor in the Lord could be driving to traffic to go to that job that you go to every day of your life, and you're sitting in the traffic, and that's just part of your work. That's part of the job that God has given you, and you do that. Sometimes labor in the Lord is just doing the nitty-gritty admin details. Or maybe your labor in the Lord is faithfully praying for your grown children. That's good. Actually, in Colossians 3.17, it says, whatever you do, the spiritual-sounding stuff, but even, even the diaper stuff, like whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A lot of my work is routine. A lot of the stuff that I have to do, I have to do like every day or every week, or there's just stuff that just, it just keeps coming back. The grass grows and needs to be cut again. The dishes get dirty, they need to be washed again. I get, I get dirty, I need to be washed again. Like this is just routine stuff over and over. So you know what? It is work. The stuff that we have to do, I think it's called work because it's work. <laughs> and there, you know, there's, there's some real exceptional moments in life, some high points, but a lot of life is just ho-hum. There's monotony. That's just how life is. So I don't know what some of your core responsibilities are. It could be parenting. It could be your job. It could be projects at home. It could be maintaining your health. I don't know what things you do are the most grinding, but we can do all of that work in the Lord. It really matters the way that we go about it. If our aim is to please him in our approach, we can decide to do the right things for the right reasons. And the truth is, we don't have complete control over the results. We have some control. There are more effective and less effective ways of getting the job done. So we have some control over the results, but some, sometimes we have victories and losses. At your job, you'll have some losses you didn't anticipate. As a parent, you may have some victories and some losses. But this passage urges us to stretch out the timeline, this past, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, really to think if, if, if you walk with Jesus, your life will end in triumph. And you will enjoy lasting victory, not because of what you built, but because what Jesus did. He paid the price and earned the victory for us, and he rose again, and we will rise. So what Paul is saying, knowing that our victory is certain, this should, this should all motivate you, hopefully, to keep going. Keep on going. Do the next day. Do the next day. But sometimes I think I just need to put one foot in front of the other and just that feels like a victory. Just one more, one more step. All of this should motivate you to say, I will keep going. I will always excel in the Lord's work. Keep throwing yourself fully into the work of the Lord. Take that next step of faith. 
work wholeheartedly, enthusiastically, with vigor, with strength and intensity. And work often is demanding and exhausting. Sometimes, actually, sometimes you work on things and you really put a lot of effort in and you don't see the fruit for many years. Sometimes you don't ever see the fruit. Sometimes you just don't know what will be produced. But it doesn't actually matter. He's saying still we can abound. We can excel in the Lord's work. So take courage. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you've been working for God, those things that you have put your effort into are not in vain. Don't get weary. Even when it looks like it's not paying off. Even when you walk with Jesus, there, there really is a new value and a new meaning to all of the work in your life. All of the work that you do is building up towards something significant that we can't see yet. I love what Jesus pointed us to. He, he talks about this idea in Luke 14. He says, on the contrary, when, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. He's telling a story. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. He's, he's, he's telling a story about some of the good work that you can do right now. And some of the things you do, you might not get any repayment. Maybe you invest, you get nothing back. Maybe you serve, you don't get served back. Maybe you, you, just, you just work hard and nobody sees it. Sometimes you're up late at night, you're working, or you're up early in the morning, nobody would know that you're working. And there's no thanks. Nobody notices. The job just gets done and that's it. That's it. There's, there's nothing. There's, nothing. there's no benefit that comes to you. You're like, man, all that work. It, but actually what Jesus says, but well, listen, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Your repayment hasn't come yet. It will. He says, there is good work you can do right now, and we wait. So we, we, we get you, there's some blessing. There's some benefits. Certainly God does reward some of the things right now, but some of it's not coming yet. One of the reasons that we can overflow with good work done for God is that your reward is not only in this life, but after death. And it's a good thing, too, because the rewards in heaven are going to be a lot better than they are right now. So, Christ followers, we will be raised to new life. It is then that the accounts will be settled. We don't deserve any reward. Only Jesus deserves anything, but God does give repayment for the hard work that we put in now. So your effort for him will not go unacknowledged. So if you were to look around, and right now, I don't, not, don't look around right now. What I, like if you were look, to look around at your life <clears throat> and decide if it's all been worth it, if you were just to like, take an inventory of your life and your situation right now, like, has this all been worth it? Don't, don't do that yet. It's too short-sighted. Don't ask that question yet. Wait till you get to heaven, then ask that question. Has it been worth it? I think your answer may be a little different. That means for, for different types of people. For mothers, if you're a mom, you're not wasting your time. You're doing something really, really important. Dads, your investment in your kids is worth it. It really, really is worth it. For those of you who are hurting, you have hurting hearts, your continued trust in the Lord is worth it. Those of you that are fighting a spiritual battle, and it's hard to fight that, keep swinging. It is worth it. It will be worth it for you to keep 
fighting. Keep going. For all of you, for all of us, you're here on this planet because God's not done with you yet, and he's got a little bit more work for you to do. So keep going. Put your heart into it. And I want to I show you a video. This actually is um, a video of a, a Jewish man who did not initially believe in Jesus, but later began to see who Jesus really was. And the, the video is a little bit on the longer side. It's kind of a, uh, a longer video than I normally show. And it's him telling a story about him finding Christ and some of the things he wrestled through in this regard. And I, I, want, I, I want to point some things out after we watch it. So check this out. My name is I grew up uh, in New York City, so you'll pardon me, I'm still learning English. Uh, but growing up there, I had a lot of questions. How could we believe in a good God who allowed such a horror of the Holocaust to happen to our people? Uh, the rabbi, uh, a very dear and sweet and gentle man, he said, Shmuel, the only thing I can tell you is what I tell myself. He who believes uh, cannot question, and who questions really cannot believe. Well, that, that didn't help me at all. And so I went from appearing uh, very religious growing up to then uh, becoming uh, quite rebellious in a sense. I was a map maker uh, for the U.S. Army in Vietnam. During the Battle of Tet, uh, we were under such attack. Horrors were going on that either you were on drugs or you were drunk. My commander of my unit, he thought he was like John Wayne and he had scotch in his, in his canteen and he was drinking scotch. He passed out just before the battle began. Uh, some of the sergeants got so overwrought they were breaking down crying in the bunkers. You know, they say there's no atheists in the foxholes. And so even though I was pretty sure there was no God whatsoever, the whole thing was like idiocy, you know, the opiate of the people. But because of the kind of horrors that go on in warfare all the time, I might have been interested to hear some good news, even in Vietnam there. And the chaplain comes by, and all he said was, I'm getting out of here, but good luck to you. Some of you won't be here in the morning. I, I thought, this is a religious person. Yeah. They were bringing troops through uh, and going on to other areas of the deployment. Uh, and so they were sleeping out in the open. And we were under attack uh, all the time, incoming missiles. And I remember saying you know, to the officer in charge, I said, listen, let them sleep in the barn, uh, because at least they'll have some protection. Uh, and the officer said, no, they don't have the clearance to sleep in the barn with the maps. The next morning, all there was was a puddle of blood, puddles of blood from these fellas. And all I could think of was the heartache. War is a horrific thing. Horrific thing. I was what might be considered uh, politely in English an unregistered pharmacist, a drug dealer, not particularly kosher. I would run into people who had the nerve to be on the streets of San Francisco proclaiming this Messiah, Jesus. I was a little bit off-put by it because they smiled too much. I didn't think that people should smile that much. Who could be that happy? But one of them, one night, had the nerve to try to tell me that I needed to believe in Jesus. I felt so offended. Let me tell you why. Uh, I thought, oh my goodness, they want me to go to the side of our enemy. 
It turns out that he, was, he said he was Jewish. My heart broke for him. I thought, a Jew who believes this? This has to be the dumbest Jew who ever lived. What kind of Jew believes in such narishkeit, such foolishness? He invited me to go to what he called a Bible study. I thought maybe it was like an archaeological find of a Bible. They'll look at it from different sides. I couldn't figure out what that might be. I would go there to laugh at them. I thought it would be my evening entertainment. Now, I got there, and it was a pretty ordinary-looking group of people. Each one had a Bible. I thought that was pretty interesting. They each had their own Bible. But they were taking everything so seriously. What do they think? These are God's love letters to them? <laughs> uh, and the portion that they were looking at was in the prophets, in Isaiah chapter 53. In traditional Judaism, where we don't study Isaiah 53. That portion is skipped over uh, by... Uh, our rabbis. They wanted me to give my opinion of who I thought the prophet was talking about. Give me a minute. To, let me take a look at this thing. As I was reading through it, it would talk about the one, it said, all, all, all we, like sheep, have all gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But Hashem has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It said there, that he would be killed, cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. What a strange thing for our scriptures to say. And I got to his, the last verse in that section, and even though he'd been cut off, it said there that he would give uh, the gifts, the spoils, uh, to the stronger faith because he had been cut off for my people, for my sake. How could he, I thought he had died, and I was giving, I said, it came to me that he hadn't, maybe he came back to life. At that point, it came very clear what this section of scripture was speaking about. It seemed to be talking about, you know who, that Jesus. Nothing is supposed to be this clear. These are really tricky, sneaky people. They put part of their Bible in what's supposed to be my Bible. What a bunch of idiots thinking they're going to be able to trick real Jews, you know? And so when they said, so who, finally, who do you think it's speaking about? I looked at them and I said, I don't know. I don't think anyone can tell. The Bible is such a mystery. No one can ever figure this out. They looked so disappointed. And they said to me, well, we'll be praying for you. I said, fat chance. What kind of God is there that'll want to answer prayers for someone like me? Where was this God in the Holocaust, I said to them. Over that period of time, I found myself thinking more and more about it. My goodness, this is, this might be our Messiah. I didn't like that. I remember, you know, okay, God, if, if you have a Messiah for us, that's fine. But please, someone besides this Jesus. I was living in a, in a very bad place when people were doing drugs. But some thoughts entered my mind. It seemed somehow clear to my thinking that drugs were opening me up to the spirit, but it was the wrong spirit, that there was a spiritual battle for my soul. But I was on the losing side. I wasn't sure that I got on my knees there and I cried out for Jesus to save me. I woke up that next morning, somehow, I knew my life was different. I wasn't 
sure about all the details, but something's, and in my heart, I actually believe that, that Jesus is Lord, is our Messiah. I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't sure where to go. Who do you talk to about these things? Not in that world. Well, there was a restaurant. There were pictures of, of Jesus on the wall. I really didn't know what would make someone a believer or something, so I thought that was a pretty good shot. So I went in there. It was really early in the morning. I didn't know what to do. I went, they were just opening up the place. You know, the manager opening up. And I said to him, listen, Jesus saved me last night. What do I do now? The guy looked at me and said, I don't know. You want breakfast? <laughs> then I remembered that a long time before, I had gone to this, couldn't remember what they called it, a Bible thing, but they, maybe they would know what to do. I couldn't believe that they would remember me. But nonetheless, I called them up and I said, listen, my name is Sam Nadler. I came to your Bible thing a long time ago. And, well, listen, Jesus saved me last night. What do I do now? They were so happy. And they had been praying for me every day. Today, when people ask me, how can you believe in God in light of the Holocaust? In all of our afflictions, he was afflicted. And so to be his people means to be kind of uh, his raw nerve endings. In all of these matters, he is afflicted. Uh, he mourns and he cries over all of our pains and issues, let alone something like the Holocaust. But he, may his name be blessed forever. Our Messiah, he loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. But yet he died a horrible, evil, torturous death by crucifixion. He understands the pain of the Holocaust. He knows what it's like to go through your personal Holocaust. This is what he brings to our hearts as well. It's a pretty powerful story. It's amazing to see God working over a long period of time like that. You know, of all the things that this guy walked through, his name's Sam, Sam Nedler, uh, all those like really bad things that he walked through, God redeemed eventually in the end. Before Jesus, he couldn't make sense out of all the pain. After finding Jesus, he was no longer focused on the pain and the bitterness. He was focused on what Jesus had done, what was coming. And it's amazing to see God's care for him in that story of his life. I love the story about one of those Christians early on who boldly shared the gospel and said that he needed to believe in Jesus and offended him. This guy was very offended. And based on the way that he talks, maybe at that time it was like he probably used some like interesting language too <laughs> to describe his offense. And uh, that, that Christian, whoever it was, not only shared the gospel, but invited him to a Bible study thing. And he came. Believe it or not, he came. He was skeptical and with a mocking attitude, but he came. And then at the end of that Bible study, that first one, all those Christians probably felt so discouraged. Because he, he, he was probably totally unresponsive. He had a bad attitude. He just left, walked out, and they never saw him again for a long time. Many years went by. And you know what? Those Christians were the ones that he called later on in life. It's amazing. Apparently, those Christians never thought our labor was in vain because they prayed. They said that we've been praying for you every day. Apparently, they never thought we've invested this, but it was worthless. 
it'll never turn out. They, never, they, they just kept believing and praying that whatever God was going to do, God would redeem it somehow in the end. God would use those efforts. And so they continued to pray. And it kind of made me think of, earlier in my story, I talked about that guy, John, at the at Corner Bakery. Again, somewhat of a religious person, um, but perhaps spiritually seeking. And I don't know if I'll ever see him. I don't know if I'll ever know the answer to the prayers that I pray. So it really, it really makes me think. I mean, I don't know, who, who are some of the people that you bump into and you talk to when you're out and about? Or who are the people that you're praying for? and you have been praying for? Who are the people that you're inviting to come explore Christ? Who are, the, who are the people that you're laboring for? Let me just give a few next steps you might consider doing. In response to all of this, what we've looked at, we've kind of looked at this powerful chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. Here's, here's one next step you might consider, is to share the gospel with somebody. Um, the idea of that may feel very intimidating. There's people in our church that are getting trained in that right now. Um, but you know what? If, you're, if, you're, if you follow Jesus and you have submitted your life to him, you probably at least know the basics about what to say. Or you could begin investing. Share the gospel. Share the good news. Um, another thing you might do is to decide to make Jesus the boss of my life right now. Maybe you've been exploring and considering and weighing, maybe even doubting maybe running away, but maybe it is time to cross the line of faith. Another next step for you might be to memorize 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, to remind myself of our victory in Jesus. When you do feel burdened and discouraged and worn down and disappointed, this verse is very powerful to remember. Man, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And then here's one more next step you might consider. Keep taking steps of faith through a painful situation. Maybe you feel like it's gone up in flames. Maybe you feel like the flood has washed it all away. And it's painful and disappointing, but you can keep taking steps of faith and trusting God. The good news of Jesus Christ is truth that we can hold on to. That death and sin will be forever defeated. So nothing that we do for God is a waste of time or a waste of effort. So let's pray together. Father, would you um, fill our hearts with the knowledge of this truth and the courage that comes from trusting you and hoping and anticipating for the resurrection. Pray that you'd bring um, the courage needed to take steps through painful situations. Also bring the clarity and the understanding and the spiritual insight to understand the good news for those that are sorting and progressing in their faith and their understanding of it. Um, thank you for your incredible care for us and even guys like Sam Nadler, how you've woven um, yourself into his story and led him to salvation. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.